Thank you for checking out the sermon at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you have access to other resources, information about who we are, and where we're going as a church, as well as an opportunity to give to what God is doing through our church. Once again, thanks for checking out this sermon. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. To worship you, I live. To worship you, I live. I live to worship you. Is that your testimony tonight? You know, that's not just from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. That's every single moment of every day. Life is to be worshiping. You know, we are called to live in a spiritual way of life all the time. All the time. Last week, Pastor Vance Pittman ended his message by this statement. Spiritual living is not distracted by this life, but is focused on the life to come. Spiritual living is not distracted by this life, but is focused on the life to come. You know, on a Sunday night, many of you are coming from work. Others of you are coming from different, different walks of life. And I just, Pastor Teddy, I just want to thank you for just leading us like that and allowing the Lord to, to lead us tonight. God is, is meeting with us. He's making his home with us tonight. And you made your home in, in God tonight. And that is a spiritual dynamic. You know, when we have those moments, it is a glimpse of what we're going to have in heaven. It's just a glimpse. There's a hymn that says it's a foretaste of glory divine. But we had a taste of that. And, and God wants us to walk in that all the time. It is a, it is a different perspective. It's a different way of seeing life, the way of thinking. It is a, a God perspective. It's not a man-made perspective. Only Jesus can give you that perspective. Only Jesus can give it to you. You know, last week, uh, Vance started his message by talking about this different perspective. And if you remember, he used some 3D glasses. Remember that? And, uh, you know, he, he talked about this movie he saw. It was, uh, what was it, Jaws 3 in 3D. I've seen that movie. And it's as bad, if not worse, than what Vance said. It is a terrible movie. Don't go see it. If it I actually have never seen it on anything uh, since 1980. You know, it just, it, 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 it's not like you see it on the stations. And when he, when he said he watched that movie, he put on the glasses and all these images came at him. Everything became clear. And when he took the glasses off, everything was foggy and unclear. And so, and I got to admit, these aren't 3D glasses. These are glasses uh, that I got at um, McDonald's with my kids. So I don't, I don't know. I, I just want to be honest with you. These aren't 3D glasses, but you get the idea that, that when you put those 3D glasses on, it changes the way you see a movie. My first 3D experience was uh, with my dad, and we saw the first 3D movie together. And the first 3D movie is House of Wax with Vincent Price. It was in 1953. That's not when we saw the movie. I'm not that old. 
uh, we saw it in 1979. They re-released it, and I don't know if it was originally in color, but this one was in color. It was vivid, and it was just, it was bright, and I'm telling you, it, it was so good to put those glasses on and to watch that movie, and then as the movie progressed, it was kind of spooky and scary, and if, you're, if you know Vincent Price, I mean, he's the voice of Thriller. Remember that, that narrator and thriller? He's, and now I really dated myself, you know. Uh, but, but, but it was an awesome, awesome movie. And I went to bed that night, and if I wasn't 12 years old, I would have crawled in bed with my parents. I was scared. And that movie just became real because of that 3D perspective. You know, 3D glasses give us a different perspective in movies, and Jesus gives us a different perspective in life. When he comes in, when he takes over your life, he gives you a new perspective. Life doesn't look the same. Your job looks different. Your family experience looks different. As Peter talks about in 1 Peter, even how we, we view government and our submission to authority in all walks of life is different because now we have a different life. We, we know that this life isn't all there is. And in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 9, we're going to pick up where we left off in verse 6 and go to verse 7. This is what Peter says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Let's look at that first phrase in verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near. There is an end to life. Not just our life, but all life as we know it here on earth. I believe we are living in these last days. And because of this reality, you are to live radically different than the world system. Your life is to be lived different because you know that the end of all things is near and you know that there is a life to come. And our lives are to be lived differently. It is to look different. We talked about it last week. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, it's Christ living in and through you, and your life must be different. We stand out. And as the years progress, Christians will stand out more and more because it is no longer gray. It is black and white. Christians live and look different than the world system. And Peter is saying that's the way it's going to be. The end of all things is coming near, and, and that's okay. Don't be riled by the news that you see on TV. Don't be all upset and anxious. This isn't all there is. Our earthly system that has been going on for a long time is about done. And Peter is saying it's about done. We are in the last chapter and as Peter writes this, a lot of things had happened on earth. And he says, now that the church is established and the Spirit has been given to all of us, this is the last, the last chapter. This is the end. When it says there, the end, it actually means the end. It's the finality. You know, going, speaking of movies, uh, you know, when you see a movie, some, some movies just aren't that good. Have you noticed that? And, and they're just not as good as they used to be. You know, I, I've waited my whole life to say that, you know. It, the movies aren't as good as they used to be. And, and, and nowadays, when a movie comes out, they, um, it, it, as it ends, they, they're not sure how they want to end the movie. 
As a matter of fact, how they do movies today, they actually have focus groups to determine how a movie ends. Did you know that? They'll actually have five or six different endings. And if it's not really good, they'll just put some bloopers on the end, you know, to make it kind of entertaining. But I'm telling you, a really good movie, I mean a really good movie, has two words at the end of that movie. You know what they are? The end. You just know it. I think when they make the movie, they know it's a good movie. You know, when Gone with the Wind was made, they just said, we got to put those two words at the end. Wizard of the, Odds had, Wizard, uh, the Wizard of Oz had to have the end at the end of that. Ben-Hur has to have the end. Um, you know, some of these movies just don't have to have that. I, I haven't seen the end on a lot of movies lately. But when you see a good movie, it has to have those two words. Humanity, life, time here on earth. We have had an incredible story from beginning with Adam to where we are now. There has been so much that has happened in this story of life. Peter is saying we are at the end. And there will be an incredible climax to history. And we are now in the last days. So Peter is saying, let me just set the stage for you. You're to have this perspective and to have an eternal perspective on life. So how do we live today in view of eternity? That's the one question I want to answer today. How do we live today in view or in focus of eternity? I'm going to give you two ways of living. As a matter of fact, the two points I'm giving you, I want you to write these down because these two points are all that matters. The only thing that really matters are these two points, okay? And I'm going to rely on Scripture. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm relying on Scripture here to tell you this is all that really matters because both of these points are eternal in focus. The first is this, enjoy communion with God. In light of eternity, enjoy communion with God now. Peter is saying the end is, is coming up here and, and it's at hand, so get a head start on eternity and do what matters. The first is this, enjoy communion with God. It says, the end of all things is near, therefore be sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. At the core of communion with God is prayer. Communicating with God. Talking with God. It's spending time with God. We were in this very room and uh, Pastor Vance was speaking to some men and it, it really hit me when he said this. I love when, 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 when Vance just puts the cookies on the bottom shelf and it's easy to understand. And He's speaking to some men and he just... He just said, listen, guys, this is the strategy for your day. You ready? This is, this is what you do all day. Spend time with God. That's it. Now, some of you are saying, I, I do a lot of other things other than that. But you can spend time with God and still go to work. You can spend time with God and still have time at home. You can spend time with God. I live to worship God. That's, that's what we're supposed to do all the time. And as the end approaches, we are to spend time with God, enjoy communion with God. And it says here, for the purpose of prayer. Prayer is at the heart of that communion with God. So we get a head start by praying and, and praying to God. Dallas Willard says this, the gospel isn't about getting into heaven after you die, but rather it's about getting into heaven before you die. Isn't that good? 
I'm going to read it again. I love that quote. The gospel isn't about getting into heaven after you die, but rather it's about getting into heaven before you die. You know, some of you are later in life, and, and you're like, boy, I, I like that quote. I like that quote, getting into heaven. For those of you that are younger, and you're younger in the faith, it's not about dying and going to a place. It's about a person coming to you right now. Heaven is a person. Eternal life is not a place to go to. Eternal life is a person. And if you can't enjoy communion with God now, you're really not going to like it in heaven. Because heaven is now. It's communion with God. That moment we just had a little while ago as we worshiped God and we were communing with him. For some of you, that was the highlight of your week. For others of you, that was very uncomfortable. For those of you that are very uncomfortable with that, let's just start, get a head start on that and spend time with God. Let's learn how to commune with God and to worship him all the time. That's what prayer is. That's what communing with God is. You know, when Jesus was asked about prayer, he said, how, how should we pray, Jesus? And Jesus said, you pray this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. You know, I think we need to stop looking at earth and the earthly system to dictate our life. I think we need to start scanning heaven. And to look at heaven to determine how we're going to, to, to live our lives in our home, to look at heaven on how we're going to live our lives at work. For those of you that are business leaders, you need to look to heaven about how to govern in your workplace. The worldly system won't cut it. God has called us to a different life, a new perspective on life. And as Colossians 4.2 says, it is to devote ourselves to prayer, keep alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Ephesians 6, 18 is a challenging verse. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times. At all times. So what does this mean, to pray at all times? Warren Wiersbe gives uh, some insight into this passage. This doesn't mean that we should walk around muttering prayers under our breath. Rather, it means we should be constantly in fellowship with God, so that prayer is as normal to us as breathing. It is a lifestyle. It's what we do all the time. And some of you, maybe one of those hundred people that we've seen come to know Christ and baptized over the last month, and God is really working in our church. And a lot of you now are new in the fellowship. And as I talk about this, this prayer life, and as I talk about it being a lifestyle, I just want to tell you right now, this is something that you must discipline yourself in. It's not something that's just going to come natural once you come out of the baptism waters and you're like, okay, I'm ready to pray all the time. Everything is spending time with God. I worship you. I'm singing like Teddy. That's not, that's not how it works. It takes discipline. And Peter is giving you some insight on how to do this. He, he really talks about two aspects of prayer to prepare yourself. He says, you must be sound in your judgment and sober in your spirit. Sound judgment and sober. Sound judgment actually means sane. When you come to know Christ, you have two minds. You have your old mind, which is no good anymore. Matter of fact, it never was any good. And I, wanted to, I don't want to talk down to those of you that are real intellectual, you know, that scored really high on the SATs. I didn't. 
all right? But your mind and the way you're thinking, I'm not talking about your intellect as far as how smart you are. I'm talking about the way you think about things. That's no use anymore. But Jesus doesn't leave you stranded. He gives you his mind. You have the mind of Christ. Now let me ask you, would you rather have your mind or the mind of Christ? You have the mind of Christ. I've heard people pray for the mind of Christ. Please give me the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. The, the, the trouble is that we sometimes live double-minded. And we're not sure which mind we want to think with. And, and you know what we do sometimes? We get so double-minded we start taking other people's opinion rather than Christ's opinion. You know, Christ, when he speaks to you, and he, get, and he speaks to you, and I believe that the sheep will hear his voice. When he speaks to you, you need to listen, and you need to, to listen to his mind and not other people. When you come to me as a pastor, you come to Vance, and you ask them, or Pastor Travis, or, or Pastor Tom, and you, and, you, and you ask our advice, the first thing we're going to do is, what has God told you to do? Because his mind is more important to you than what we think. God says, my ways aren't your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He's saying, you need to think with my mind. I think differently. I have a different perspective than how you think. And as you come to know Christ, you've had two minds and you need to learn to think with the right mind and to be sane, sound in your judgment. And it also says to be sober in spirit. Sober in spirit. When I say the term sober, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some in this room, you, you've had experiences where you weren't sober, all right? And I want to ask for a, a show of hands, all right? But this weekend, we will have sobriety checks all over this city. And those sobriety checks will check and see if people are under the influence or not. And if they are under the influence, they're going to spend a nice night in jail. And they're going to see if, if, they can, if they can think clearly. Once they can think clearly, then they'll be released and they make bail and they leave. Sobriety here, sober in spirit, means that my spirit is sober. It is in tune with, with, with his spirit. It is his spirit that influences my life. Not any other spirit, not any other thing, not any other per person. Being sober in spirit means that I am under his influence only. Are you under any influence other than God? Is anything dictating your life other than God? Those of you that are, that are in high school and college, a lot, of, a lot of you are here tonight. Are you under the influence of anything other than God in your life? I'm telling you, when you are under his influence, it will change everything. It will change the decisions you make about your future. It will change how you carry yourself in a dating situation. It will change every situation. For those of you that are married, it will change everything. When you are thinking with his mind and you are under his influence, men, it will change your marriage. It will change how you parent to hear his mind and to do what he wants you to do, to think like him, to want like him, to, 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 to want the things that he wants. And that is a different way of living. And when you do this, it is for the purpose of prayer. When you, when you live this way, Peter says it is for the purpose of prayer. Your prayer life and your communion with God will be different because you will enter into that prayer time thinking with his mind, under his influence, and God will show you things that will blow your mind away. It, 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 you'll start thinking with his mind only and not your, your mind, and you will make decisions that are godly decisions in your life. Samuel Swimmer says this, true prayer is God the Holy Spirit 
talking to God the Father in the name of the Son, and the believer's heart is the prayer room. It is Father, Son, Holy Spirit communicating, and you get to be an invited guest into that. But he says, I don't want you to just be a guest. I want you to be a son. I want you to be a daughter. I want you to come into our community, and I want to speak to you. I want to speak to you about secret things, mysterious things that you never knew before, but I'm going to show you some things. Let me tell you, the Father can show you some things that you don't know. He wants to show you how to walk with Him. Jesus wants to speak with you and to talk with you. For some of you that have been journeying in this Christian faith for a while, your prayer life has grown cold. It may be because of a sin in your life. It may be because of shame that you've put on yourself. It may be some lies that you believe. But let me just tell you something. God wants to spend time with you. He wants you to be re-engaged with him once again. He wants the next few moments and days and months ahead to be better than anything before. And for some of you, you don't even believe that God loves you anymore. He not only loves you, he likes you. He likes you. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe loves you and likes you. And get this. He loves the very core of who you are. You know that person that nobody else knows about? Do you have any secrets in this room that you haven't told anybody about? You probably do. You know that person that you think, oh, I would never tell anybody. God loves that person. God loves that person. He likes you. He loves you. He wants to walk with you. That's why he sent his son. To reconcile relationship with you so he can have communion with you all the time. Clyde Cranford, great man of God that has gone on to be with the Lord, says this about communion with God. He says, play golf with God. Read a magazine with God. Watch a movie with God. Of course, that will mean a more discriminating choice in what you read or watch. It also means you must walk in a mode of repentance and appreciation of his presence. The result is a clear conscience and enjoyment of his fellowship. Isn't that powerful? Communion with God will change how you live your life with your family. It'll change how you go on a date. It may even change who you date. Because it's not just two of you, it's three of you going on the date, all right? And I like that, you know. I've, we parented four kids, Jessica and I, we parented four kids. And, and I'm telling you, the best thing we can do for our kids is to help them understand that they have communion with God. Because none of my kids have invited me in on a date. They just haven't. But if I can get in their heart that they are communing with God and worship is living with Him, I know that they know that when they go on a date, there's three of them there. And I can trust that. And as they go to work, I know that they know that God is always with them. And as they go through lonely times, like all of us do, they know that they are never alone because they have communion with God. Communion with God is eternal, and you are to get a head start on it now. Also, we are also to spend time with other believers. How do we live today in view of eternity? The second point is this. Build community with believers. Build community with believers. Enjoy communion with God and build community with the believers. Those two aspects are eternal. They are forever. It says here in this passage that above all, 
Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter's talking to believers in this verse. He's speaking of a spiritual family. We believe here at Hope that church isn't a, an event to attend. is a family to belong. And we are invited into this community by God. And at the core of this family is love. It is a God love. It is not a love that, that, that is a, a man-made love. It is a God love. It is an unconditional love. He loves you no matter what you do. You, nothing can separate you from God's love. I don't encourage you to do this, but you can go out and live however you want as a child of God. Go ahead and live how you want, and he still loves you. You say, that just seems too good to be true. I know, that's why they call it the gospel. It's good news. But you know what? When he loves you unconditionally, a child of God will come back. A child of God will return. A child of God will come back, just like the father, as he talks about the father and the son that, that is wayward, and the son came back, and the father is looking to you. Some of you tonight, he's looking for you to come back, because he loves you, and he loves you unconditionally. And he calls us to love just like he loved. John 15, 12. Jesus sums up all the commandments. I love when Jesus just makes it simple. He makes it simple for us, and he says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Love one another just as I have loved you. He loved his disciples. He spent time with them. He served them. He sacrificed. He saw the best in them. And he said, this is how I want you to love others. I want you to love others with the love that I've given you. And this isn't a love that is a man-made love. It is only a love that's within you. The kingdom of God and the love of God is within us as believers. And he says, love with that kind of love. I've empowered you to do that. Keep fervent in your love for one another. 1 Peter 4, 8, keep fervent. You know, I studied this, this word because I, I wasn't sure about, first of all, what fervent meant in English, let alone what it meant here in Greek. And as I studied it, you know what fervent means? It is a picture of a horse in full gallop. It's a picture of a, of a runner that's running full pace. You know, when, when you see this image, a, a modern-day image would be like Usain Bolt running at full stride. Any, any horse fans? Any, any horse fans, horse racing fans in the room? Go ahead. You can raise your hand. It's okay. Yeah. All right. I love horse racing. I watch it every year. I'm waiting for that triple crown winner, you know, where somebody's going to win all three of them. And it's it's going to be awesome. Horse racing is incredible, and, and I love horse racing because I love to watch these, these huge horses in full gallop. I mean, the, the, they're massive creatures, and their muscles are huge, and there's this jockey on them, and he's whipping them, and they're coming around. A full gallop is different than a gallop. It's different than a prance. It's surely different than a walk. He's saying here, it is at full gallop. We are to love at a full gallop. It is that picture of a race when they come around the final turn and that horse is going at full stride and the jockey is just whipping and whipping and the crowd is cheering. He says, the end is near. You are to love the body at full gallop. You are to love and just unbridled love for people at full gallop. This is how we're to love. When I 
think of this type of love in community, it takes me back to a small group that my wife and I started. And we started this group with another couple. And I encourage you, if you're starting a small group, to start with another couple. Um, it's not only biblical, but it's, it's smart. Because if you've got another couple, you know that you're not the only ones there, right? And it, it's tough when you throw a party and nobody shows up, right? So we always start a small group with another couple. If, if you're single, start, start, a, start a group. Ladies, start with another lady. Men, start with another man. But start together in community. We did that, and we saw this group grow. And we had some young couples that joined us, not only young uh, uh, physically, but also they were young in their faith spiritually. And we had one couple, Richard and Jennifer, and they, uh, they had really just come to Christ. They had been going from different faith to faith, not different church to church, but different faith to faith. And they came to know Christ and they were in this, this small group. And we began to practice what we called body life. And that's just the body being the body of Christ. It's more than just doing a Bible study. It is loving each other. It's that Acts 2 passage where they all had everything in common and you know, I've been in ministry a long time, and I thought, you know, why don't we give it a shot? We always talk about Acts 2. Let's just do it. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's see what happens. So we began to share life together. Not just do an hour meeting, but to, to, to really help each other and to encourage one another. And we did that. And I met with Richard, and Jennifer met with Jessica, and we began to just love on each other. And, and there was one night where my wife and I were in need, and we were struggling. And uh, we are actually struggling financially. Have you ever been there where you're struggling financially? And we were trying to teach transparency, and here's the group, and, you know, we're pastors, but we thought, you know, we just, we're just going to tell them. We just said, we, we, we've had some, some things come in our lives, and we're, we're just in need. And we weren't asking for anything. We just said, would you just pray for us? So this young group prayed for us. A week later, Richard uh, said, I, I got to meet with you, and he came, and he had an envelope. And that envelope said, savings on it. And he gave me that envelope. And he said, my wife and I, we've been married just a few years, and um, we, we've saved up money here and there. And you can kind of tell by the envelope that it, it wasn't a check he gave me. It was actually a five and some tens and some twenties. You can tell that at certain times, they stored up some money. They put some money. They had the envelope system. And he, he handed that whole envelope to me, and he just said, we, we want you to have this. God told us to give this to you. Man, I, to this day, that's one of the most powerful, fervent love times I've ever seen in my life. This young man really giving us all they had in savings. That's powerful. I told my wife, and we opened up the envelope, and $2,600. We needed $2,600. God provided through Richard. It wasn't Richard. It was God in communion through Richard to meet our need. That is the body being the body. Well, we moved and we came to, to, to Las Vegas, and that group actually continued to meet. They began to practice that, that love, and they continued to build on that. You know, just recently, um, I heard a, another love story in that group, and it's powerful. One group had seven, seven family members, and their van just went kaput. And, uh, and another member of that group, another couple in that group, gave an almost new Volvo SUV to that other family in need. Isn't that powerful? 
You say, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, it does. I, I, I know. It happens. We have to learn how to practice this type of love. Because the end is near, and guess what? Love remains forever. SUVs come and go. Money's, money comes and goes. But building the body of believers is forever. And, and listen, we don't give to pay back God, but, but trust me on this. That envelope, God remembers. God remembers. That SUV that was given, God remembers. When we get to heaven someday and we spend eternity with each other, it's going to be fun just to celebrate all the things that, that we did in Christ because that's the only thing that remains. Building community with believers and to, to keep fervent in that love. And this type of love covers a multitude of sins in the body of Christ. Because we are going to fail each other from time to time. Do you know that? We're going to hurt each other at times. Not intentionally, but we're going to hurt each other. Sometimes trust is, is broken in a family. Things happen. We're not perfect people. We're perfect in Christ, but still as we're here on the earth, we still do things that, that hurt. And we're going to have to forgive. And this passage is saying love because love covers all those, those sins. You know, in your biological family, let me ask you, are you perfect in your biological family? Do, do people hurt each other in your biological family? Absolutely. But in Christ, this spiritual family is a family that is built on his love. And we are to forgive. We are to reconcile. We are to, to, to do all this because eternity really does matter. And those little shortcomings, they really don't matter in eternity. I don't know what, how you've been hurt in the body of Christ. Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a small group member. If they're believers, you need to make that right. It really doesn't matter in eternity. It's not like in eternity you're going to pull out that list and say, you know, I, I've been meaning to talk to you. Remember when you hurt me? No, we're not going to do that. Love covers a multitude of sins. And then it goes on to say that we're to be hospitable. And I'm going to end with this in verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. We're to show hospitality. Hospitality is a powerful dimension of love. It is love with skin on it. That's what hospitality is. It's real. When Peter writes this, he's talking to a church that is to show hospitality to believers. And when we're talking about this, the context of this is believers. I think you should show hospitality to unbelievers. But I want you to, to be clear about this. This is showing hospitality to believers. And I don't know about you, sometimes it's easier to show hospitality to strangers than believers. I don't know why, but it just is sometimes. Because you can just give $10 and say, see you later. But when you're with family members, we're to show hospitality with them, and we're to do it without complaint. We don't say, hey, here's $2,600, and you need to get your finances in order. You know, it's not, it's not that kind of stuff. It's not complaining. It's showing hospitality without complaint. And Peter is speaking to a church that helped missionaries that were traveling. And these people were opening up their homes to missionaries that were traveling and, and sharing the gospel. The early church would not even exist without homes that were opened up in hospitality. The early church did not meet in nice air-conditioned buildings like we have. They had to meet in homes. And somebody had to, to open up their home for the body of Christ to meet. And that's hospitality. To open up your home. Let me ask you. Has, has, has God ever 
talk to you about that, maybe opening up your home to help somebody. Maybe it was a, an intern here at church, or maybe it's for a small group. If you're like me, you kind of struggle in that area. Some of you, you love opening up your home. You just love it. Most of you don't. Let's be honest, right? You come home, you, you open the garage door, you go in, you close the garage door, you watch ESPN or Fox News or wherever you want to watch, you go to bed. You get up and you do it all over again. Opening up homes is not something that we culturally do, but we live with a new perspective, don't we? We're different people, and because we're different people, our house is to be opened. Our house is not a refuge. Our house is a resource for the kingdom of God. It's never to be a refuge. I'm not saying that you just open up your house to anybody, but when they're believers, they're family, our house is to be opened up for family. And I'm just telling you, most of you, you struggle with that like me. But I'm telling you, it'll change your life when you open that up to a small group and God shows up in your house. Many, many times we've been praying in our house and sometimes it was even on nights where I didn't even want to have a small group. I'm tired. And you ever get tired on a Thursday night? Like, oh, here comes small group night, you know. But then we begin to pray and we begin to sing. Many, many times in our prayer time, I've had people say, I saw angels. I saw angels in the room. I saw angels around your house. I remember the first time somebody said that. I'm like, eh, I haven't seen any angels. But you know what? Over and over again, people... You know why? Because your house isn't just a house anymore. It is holy ground. You are standing on holy ground. Right now, we're standing on holy ground. When you're in your, your house, you're standing on holy ground. Where the presence of God is, it's holy. And you can have a holy moment in your house. Hospitality became real in my house this past week. Uh, like some of you, uh, the, the stomach bug was going around in our house, and, and uh, our, my kids got it, and my wife got it, and any of you know about the stomach bug, it, it bug it's not fun at all, you know, and, and my wife was sick, and my daughter was sick, and, and, uh, and I'm caring for them the best I can, um, I'm working on a message on hospitality, so I, I, I kind of had to do it, you know, but I, but I love them. Uh, one thing about stomach flu, I, I just try to stay away, you know, so I got my gloves on and my mask on, and I know it's not real, <laughs> it's not real loving. I go in and scare my daughter, you know, I got my, my gloves on, and I just don't want to get sick, right? But I, I cared for them. And uh, I got some texts from church members, and they were texting me, and they said, hey, we're praying for you, and can I bring by something? Somebody else texted and said, hey, can we bring you by some fresh pillows or, or blankets? And it was awesome, you know, and I texted back to one of our small group members, and I said, yeah, sure, bring us some soup. So he went to Panera Bread, and he got uh, some soups, that real good soup from Panera, and he brought it. And it was awesome. And, and I said, you want to come on in? He's like, no, no, I don't come on in. And I, and I uh, don't have to, you know. But he gave me the soup, and, and uh, it, was, it was awesome. And, uh, and I brought it in, and I looked up at, at my wife. She was in the balcony, and she's kind of, you know, got the blanket and sick, and uh, she just started to cry. And uh, about that time, she was thinking about Emily, a friend of hers that used to bring her soup. You ever have a friend like that? They just care for you? 
Emily was a true pastor. She just loved, and she brings soup to anybody in need. I mean, she'll just, it's not that she wants you to get sick, but she's kind of looking for it. It's like, oh, somebody's sick, let's take soup. Somebody's sick, let's take pillows. She's just always looking to be the body of Christ, to fervently love and to show hospitality because that's what we do as believers, and that's eternal. So it was powerful when, when this small group member came over this week because it spoke to me, but it really spoke to my wife because the reality of God and the love of the body came together. And when the reality of God and the love of the body come together, it is transformational. Lives are changed when that happens. We're called to love. First Peter 4, 7-9, through 9, and the message reads this way. Everything in the world is about to be wrapped up. So take nothing for granted. Stay wide awake in prayer. Most of all, love each other as if your life depended on it. Love makes up for practically anything. Be quick to give a meal to the hungry, a bed to the homeless, cheerfully. The end is near. What's God calling you to do tonight? What's he speaking to you about? As we look at communion with God and community with believers.